Hello and welcome to the Second Row Pro 14 Recap Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud and all Android apps. This is round 21, the last ordinary round of the Pro 14 and it was a derby day. So we'll be starting with the Irish provinces, then moving around the other games. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Oshin Collins. Hey Park, so tell me, has Galway recovered from yesterday's dramatics yet? I have just one thing to say. Leo, Stuart, your lads took one hell of a beating. <laughs> <laughs> were the tears you were promising in full flow yesterday then? Tears of joy at the result. Unbelievable scoreline. Seven tries to one. Like I would have taken a one point win on, on Thursday afternoon when we recorded in our preview podcast. But to win by 37 points is just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I don't think anybody, you would have got some odds on a 37-point margin. Like It was one of those things where even if you could see into the future, you still wouldn't put money on that. <laughs> um, a couple of standout performances, but like just looking back on it, your your pack were monstrous. Yeah, it was one of the, I've been saying uh, to other people that our pack's a bit too nice, and they d- definitely weren't on them. Um, on Saturday, they are so strong in contact and so smart in their general play as well. Yeah, there was a kind of a, a controlled viciousness. Yeah, like I think Shane Delahunt and Thornbury were just standouts. Yeah, and Delahunt isn't normally a frontline player for you guys, but he was playing like a man possessed. Yeah, I think someone said that was almost the best performance from an Irish hooker in the last 12 months. You're kind of like, really? But at the same time, he was just everywhere while he was on the pitch no touch of hyperbole there at all not at all no <laughs> not a bit <laughs> which I mean and it was funny because it was a slow enough start like I mean Connacht got a, a good first score but watching it after the first 20 minutes I I was kind of waiting for the inevitable blue tide to just surge through and annihilate Connacht and it just never came I was there and I had that sense of dread watching I was like Byrne was keeping us penned in. Lowe was keeping us penned in with his kicks. You know, we just weren't getting out of our half. They were going through phase after phase after phase. And there was a sense of like, that first try was good, but this isn't going to be a good day. Yeah, you're kind of thinking, it's a bit like, have you ever seen, there's a, there's a play about the Munster All Blacks game called Alone It Stands and one of the lads in the crowd is, oh, you're just making them angry. You're just making them angry. Yeah, there was that type of feel about it though, really. I'll tell you what, I, like the intercept try was, a real kind of turning point because after that Connacht really started to take control of the game. It was a complete sucker punch and Tiernan just read that pass so well. It almost felt like he had the pass read four or five passes before he even got to that point. Well, I was watching this with a mate of mine in the Shannon Clubhouse and you could tell what was going to happen because there was a huge amount of space. Like Leinster had a massive overlap. So I think they were just trying to pump the ball out wide as quickly as they could. That's definitely a 14-point swing. And totally against the run of play. Oh, completely. Like, up on, after the first 10 minutes, up until that point, that was around the 25, 28-minute mark, it was all Leinster up until then. Well, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of loose kicking from both sides. The difference was what each team was doing with it. So, in the backfield, you had Tiernan for Connacht, who was kind of kicking the ball away a bit loosely, and he knocked on one, and he just wasn't, he hadn't really hit his stride yet. Whereas James Lowe, from the Leinster side, was kind of playing nearly in that kind of, sitting back behind the defence and, and watching for the kicks through. And he looked really dangerous when he got the ball and he just disappeared out of the game. We kind of kept him quiet then from that point on. We didn't kick as loosely either. I think Carty went back, did more kicking from there. And Marmion's box kicks, he wasn't going deep. He was making sure they were extremely contestable. So there was no yeah. real backfield ball to be got from them. Yeah, having said that, 21-3 at halftime, massively, massively flattered. I was in a group WhatsApp and they were like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
hold your horses there, Park. You know, Leinster come back in the second half, and then suddenly <laughs> they just didn't. They just stayed in the changing room after halftime. Leinster, I don't know what happened with Leinster in that second half, but I'm not complaining. No, absolutely not. I said it looked at one point like um, Carberry was trying to do an audition for him not to get picked to move to Ulster. Oh, it was hilarious. Like, I think Bundy had a man marked at some points because there were just times he Bundy was just shooting out the line and he's going, no, you're not going anywhere. Like, he had a very quiet game by his standards. And there was a point when Carberry got his first penalty. Someone behind him in the clan terrace went, oh, that's it, burnt Ulster. Then a few minutes later, he misses the next one and goes, oh, that's it, Cadbury Tolster. And you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, we're just completely playing on what was going Like, everyone was just really good form. And that's when Leinster were still in the game. True, actually. That was still a, that was still a real fixture at that point. A couple of beautiful tries, though. Like, Carty's chip over the top was just... It was, it was so simple, but you see it so rarely um, where I would kind of vary that kicking game and attack it and... Turning took it really well and, and put it inside. But the timing of it was special. Like, I I think Carty's a very good 10. He just has really bad stats from the tee. And that that's all anyone gets from their 10. But I didn't think he had a good game again yesterday. Really moved the ball on well. But the chip for the... Everyone's, like, the second the ball went into the air for that chip, you just kind of go, like, this is a try. Yeah, I mean, if Carty's not going to kick your goals, it looks like you found a new place kicker for next year. Yeah, well, shame he's retired. With a 100% record. Exactly. I'm telling you, Healy and Lamar needs to be shot out of a cannon for rushing that kick. <laughs> ah, come on. If you're going to be cheeky enough to have your number eight take the kick, then uh, you're allowed to get charged down. I would have no problem with them charged down if they were five points behind, not 35 points behind. <laughs> yeah. Tell you what, uh, it was uh, it was a bit of a Muldoon festival, all right. Oh, right, and it literally was Muldoon fest. You know, I was there. I've been. I was telling people, stop ruining Muldoon Day. <laughs> uh, I was. Um, I was watching the. Or I read back the script of the interview afterwards, and I love. It's such a measure of the man. He actually apologized for taking the kick in case it was offensive. Like he's brilliant, and like on the pitch there was like for all the players that were leaving and him they, all the presents were given out and the thank yous were given and he was inducted into the Connacht Clan Hall of Fame there and then on the pitch on the spot excellent you're not getting out of Galway without this yeah pretty much and the reaction he got all day like throughout the day was brilliant like he won a, a turnover from the line out and after five seven minutes and you'd swear it was a hat trick worthy try the, um, yeah. the cheer he got from the, the crowd like it was a testament that the Leinster fans stayed around after the game to give him his send off, let it for and listen to his speech, and then he thanked yeah, everyone nice. from the fans to every coach he's ever had <laughs> to the he groundskeepers named, to the guy who makes his boots. No, no, literally he thanked everyone that you know, <laughs> and and this is a pure measure of the man. All he cared about was that everyone that was there just followed the team next season without him. That's all he. That's all that mattered to him. Well, look, I mean, I think kind of coming back to strengths and weaknesses from the game, like the level of commitment and passion and energy that was shown. Yeah, because like for me, that, that was a saying, for want of a better term, playing above themselves, you know, that's a one-off type of match. But if they could hit 70 to 80% of that week in, week out, which is kind of where you want your team to play and then they can rise up for bigger games. There's something for us going forward. Yeah, agreed. 
I mean, there was a couple of strengths as well. I mean, I think the scrum was excellent um, and uh, the mall defence was pretty good too. I would like to say that Bealham and Carey have now done a number on the Leinster front le- loose heads twice this season. They have done the number on the Munster front row twice this season. Well, maybe not twice. But like, I do understand how Bealham and Carey are not around the Irish team or I know why I know why Buckley isn't, but I don't understand why these two aren't. Yeah, I mean we're blessed in Ireland at the moment. There's a lot of quality at tight head between, you know, the two boys at Leinster, Marty Moore coming back to Ulster next year, um, John Ryan down in Munster. But yeah, I mean Bealham would have been you know, Bealham was basically he had that number eighteen jersey a couple, about a season ago. So and possibly time to see him on the plane for Australia this summer. Buckley tortured tortured Porter. Buckley Buckley's a horrible little grub to play against though. Yeah, the problem is it's his um I was actually talking to a scrum coach last season about this. Because how he binds, when he go if he ever steps up to international level, he's just gonna look like he's bringing down the scrum all the time. It's just how he holds his arm. That's a real detail thing that you're not gonna miss if you're Joe Schmidt either. Exactly. And at one point Heaney was struggling so much, his hand was straight an inch from the ground and Carey was still driving him upwards. Jesus. I'll tell you what, though, like, st- still talking strength, Leinster's tackling a defensive line in the first half was superb. Like, yeah. Connacht were getting battered um, backwards in the contact, um, which, again, they, they obviously overcame that in the second half, but I think the heads had substantially dropped at that stage. No, but when Leinster were interested, they were in the game, you know, and they lost interest very quickly in that second half. Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, it didn't really matter as a result for them. Um I don't think it's going to derail them in terms of their title ambitions this season. Um, they showed their quality in flashes. But the problem is, if you're a Leinster fan, you kind of going, no one here is really putting their hands up for the next couple of games, you know? Yeah, there's no one fighting for inclusion. And I mean, particularly, particularly in the pack, their work at the breakdown was genuinely pathetic. It was so loose. I mean, I think one of one of Delahunt's big moments um, early in the first half was he just picked up the ball at the back of a breakdown and he just walked through. Delahunt was literally finding more holes around the rock than you'd find in a slice of Swiss cheese. Uh, it, it was so easy for Connacht. And I think particularly like from their perspective, once they tightened up their kicking, once they managed to be a little bit more direct and less lateral, uh, it made a big difference. So while you were celebrating in the sports ground, I was down in Thoman Park becoming increasingly frustrated with this team. That was a very, very scrappy match. Yeah, and I mean, I guess a, a draw was probably a fair reflection, to be honest. I mean, I think either side could have won it, but neither side particularly deserved to. So 24-all, a fair scoreline. I know it made no difference, and we'll come to, you know, because of Edinburgh winning, but would you not take in the knee? You know, that last line out, let them win it, let them go over, and just really see what happens then in Edinburgh. But no! Stand <laughs> up and fight. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think... You were expecting a performance. I was expecting a performance from Munster. I was expecting a reaction to the game in Bordeaux. And this was not what I was expecting. It wasn't very impressive whatsoever. You know, I'll put it this way to you. I have seen worse matches this weekend. So that's a saving grace. <laughs> Looking forward to you talking about that one. Um, look, for me, and I'll, I'll try and stop ranting a bit after this. Look, when you look at where the success of this Munster team has been based on, it's been about being gritty and about being disciplined and about not giving away stupid scores immediately after getting a try and just our defensive system seems to have fallen apart this year 
that we are we're not starting into games with the with the requisite intensity. We're making stupid mistakes. We're getting turned over and losing the ball in in critical scenarios. I don't know whether that's just adjustment to a new defensive coach or whether it's that the new defensive coach is implementing a different system that's less effective. I just don't know. But this is not the same level of determination and resilience and just defensive grit that we saw under Erasmus and Nienbar. And I want that back. Just actually about Nienbar, he was a certified physio, so he was on the pitch with the players a lot as well. Like, that's a big difference when your defence coach isn't there with you. Yeah, maybe that's what it was, just being close to it and kind of coaching them through games as well. But I just, I, I, it's the big area of Munster's game. We haven't, we haven't kicked on. And some stuff we're doing better. Some of our talent is coming through. But we need to start playing the way that has driven us to success. Like, we need to start being clinical. And we need to start being mean. Like, we need to start punishing teams and then not conceding soft scores. Saturday was a serious game of two halves. Ulster were relatively on top in the first half. The Mall and Scrum were on top. They got two scores from them all. But in the second half, Munster made the changes, the more senior players came in and that did make all the difference. Yeah, our, our Scrum was a bit of a penalty vending machine at times until we brought the big boys in off the bench. But like, Grobler for you was amazing. I know James Cronin got man of the match, but I would have given it to Grobler every day of the week. Like he was ferocious, and his lineout work was exceptional. Like, yeah. I mean, how many steals did he get on his own? Oh, I lost count. But was he worth the hassle in the press? So I think so. Um, like the press campaign was was some pretty mean spirited stuff, and it's it's all about just trying to get the kind of rage clicks. Because if you look at when they could have written that article was last summer when we signed him. But when they came out was when there was a chance of him kind of making his debut. And it, it was just it was classic, you know, trash journalism from certain trash newspapers. Uh, uh, that's fair. So we'll move on to my typical monster spot, Cop- Copeland Watch. <laughs> Copeland Watch. Uh, good game for Copeland. Um, I mean, he was part of a very effective back row unit. Dave O'Callaghan, I played him, had a better game. And there was the kind of the, the typical brainless Copeland moment where he managed to give himself yellow carded um, a bit more of a cynical foul like dragging down a, a, a mall that was pretty guaranteed to go over so again he kind of comes back to something we've spoken about before in terms of is his decision making really at that elite level um, no but in terms of his physicality I think he got a couple of steals and his um, his carry meters were excellent like they flashed up there's this new thing where they flashed up a lot of stats on the big screen at half time and I think he had double the number of carries compared to, to Mike Sherry and only in 30 minutes, obviously, because he'd been yellowed. Well, you know, that, I think that might be because of all the scrums. Yeah, I, I just thought it was a stupid yellow card to give away. It's one of those ones that, you know, there's 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 times if you're going to call it a cynical play that it's worthwhile, but when you're about to get marched back over your line and they're going to take them all again and march you back over that line one player down, then maybe don't get yourself yellow carded. Yeah, it was a 14-point yellow card as well. I think he just likes the big yellow Mr. Binman chair because it does look comfortable. <laughs> a few nice performances for Munster. Sweetener had a good game. Yeah, he was. I mean, I think the backs in general are pretty good. Um, and uh, they, I think the wingers were wearing wrong numbers. They'd swapped onto opposite wings. But it was a, it was a good performance from, from Sweetener in particular. He chased a lot of high balls and got some good results out of it. 
Williams was a mixed bag. Um, some of his box kicking was really nice, but his speed of ball delivery is, is just nowhere near the level that you need. Williams is a mixed bag. Isn't that the way you describe Williams' performances in every game? No, normally I describe Williams' performance as a bag of muck, but there is some positives to speak to in this one. Speaking of nines, I think Ulster really missed Cooney at this game. Like, I think if Cooney plays, Ulster win this. Yeah, that was, especially in the second half, Ulster looked devoid of ideas and no one to really control the game at halfback. You know, Shanahan and McPhillips didn't really have enough there and Williams isn't going to do that for you. Well, particularly when McCloskey went off uh, and they were kind of playing with, with two tens, so with McPhillips and Curtis outside him, you kind of expect there to be kind of enough creativity in, in that back line to do something, but there just really wasn't. It's quite disappointing because their pack were especially in the first half, really physical and really dominant. Yeah, I think it was really impressive. And I mean, Ulster are going to need that kind of physicality to to win the game against the Ospreys, which is in a couple of weeks' time. You know, if their pack can stand up, then that gives them a really good chance of, of getting an edge in that game and qualifying for Europe, which is going to be hugely important for them next year. Yeah, definitely. And like, Munster going forward, the youth are really coming through and showing some some nice bits. Yeah, Fitzgerald at fullback, who hasn't got a lot of game time this season, was excellent. Calvin Nash on the other wing, again, showed a lot of ambition and a lot of physicality. And um, what can you say about Sammy Arnold? Like that little stint in the Ireland camp has done him no harm at all. I, I think he's he's a possible bolter for me for that Australia tour this summer. Is it just me, or does anyone who comes in touch with Joe Schmidt come back a better player? Seems to be, yeah. That Ireland camp is, um, is a bit like the Midas touch in terms of just turning good players into into really top quality players like you look at the likes of Simon Zebo and it made a huge difference to him even though he didn't like it apparently <laughs> yeah for Munster though JJ wasn't great no he was very poor um, and I was surprised to see him play the full 80 minutes there there was just a lack again of of composure and game management and a bit of direction which is what you look for in your halfbacks but in your 10 in particular like I thought it was really poor and it's just so hot and cold. Like he came in and played a good ten minutes at the end of last week's game, and there's just nothing like that this week. And another relatively slow start. So there was a bit of a fluke try, but after that, again went behind and and going into halftime with with the heads down and, and a, a lead to be caught up. But like he caught up those uh, ten points. Yeah, and I mean, I think we were enabled to we were enabled in that by by two particular things. Like Ulster's lineout is shambolic. It didn't matter who was throwing the ball in; it was coming back in Grover's hands. Like, and defensively, they were oh, shocking all over the place. Like that um, that break from Sweetenham made one, and he just he just picked a line and just sprinted through the defense. Like our, our attack looked competent and incisive. Oh no, that's a bit harsh. Like, I think that's um, the Irish game's pretty well wrapped up. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, not a bad result, you know, for Ireland. You've got Leinster and Munster all going into the knockouts of this competition. Ulster in with a playoff shout to um, to get European rugby next year. And Connacht with a clean sweep across their provincial rivals this season. So, not a bad weekend for Irish rugby all round. No, that's the first time Connacht have ever done that. Beating all three rivals in one season. Impressive stuff. These are small things we cling on to down in the West. <laughs> Those little records make a big difference. 
It's what you build off. So the other results of the weekend, um, I suppose starting in South Africa, uh, Kings 20, Cheetahs 29. So predictable enough result, but uh, at least the Kings made a bit of a fist of it this time. Yeah, like I, I didn't get to see the match or actually the highlights because I was um, a bit occupied last night for some reason. Yeah. But um, it will be interesting to see if Cheetahs can put a good performance in next week against the Scarlets. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to think that it's going to be a competitive game and let alone next week. I think this is a big one for me next season. Like these guys, these two teams have been playing rugby consecutively for something like 15 or 16 months. Like you would have to imagine that we'll see better performances from them when they have a rest and a preseason. I think the whole South African experiment, if the tours have been good, the, the fixtures have mostly worked out apart from some travel disasters and Scott Baldwin trying to get eaten by a lion. Yeah, so so far so good and lot to work on. Mm, absolutely. So uh, Judgment Day. Yeah, Judgment Day. We'll start with Dragons v Scarlets. And there's a quote from Billy Madison. And it's, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Now, replace everything there about the answer, about this match, and about mm-hmm. dumber with feel worse for as a human being. <laughs> I can't have been that bad. There was 60 minutes before the first scrum got completed. Okay, maybe it was. They all went down or they all went to the penalty. Oh, God. Yeah, that's it. For the first 60 minutes. And there was so many scrums. <laughs> but honestly, there's like the atmosphere sounded like... It sounded like there was no atmosphere in the Millennium Stadium from listening to it. That's a shame. Because, I mean, there was a decent turnout um, at the, the second game, which we'll talk about in a minute. But maybe you had all the Cardiff fans who just weren't bothered landing in for the start of the first fixture. Like, Scarlet's won this in first gear. I'd be almost tempted to say they won it in neutral. <laughs> they just had one guy pushing the car from behind. Though I felt, I actually felt sorry for the Dragon's prop because he got subbed off and within two minutes he had to come back on again because the sub got binned. And he was just there looking up to the heavens for like, please, just let this game be over. I think that was probably the Scarlet's impression as well, though. I mean... They, they, all they needed to do was get out, get their win, get their bonus point, and go home. And that was all they were looking for. So, you know, mission, mission accomplished from that perspective. Can we move on? Just move on, move on to the next game of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, next game of the day was actually pretty good by contrast. Uh, Cardiff narrowly losing out 23 26 to the Ospreys. At the first half, Ospreys had a ton of ball, but it seemed to be Cardiff who were kind of doing the, the more exciting stuff with it. There was, there was two beautiful tries. Um, Anscombe just Gareth Anscombe is just a seriously good player in broken field. He's in that kind of Stuart Hogg mold where he can he can cut through players brilliantly. Um, and then for the second, again, you talked about Carty's kind of just perfect vision for that chip kick. Uh, similar on this one, and um, the twelve for Cardiff just grubbed them all through, and it just popped directly up into the thirteen hands. He went over and got a, a simple, simple try. Nice. Ospreys did come back into it and tied up the game in the second half, but Cardiff just edged out in front, and you would have assumed like 70 minutes on the clock, and Cardiff for three points up, but conceded a penalty, and then Dan Bigger knocked over a cheeky drop goal to uh, to get the win for Ospreys. I would worry for Ulster in, in a few weeks' time. I am Ospreys are hitting their form of the season at the right time for where they are and for what they need to do. 
Well, you compare this with the Ospreys team that lost Ulster um a couple of weeks ago, and it's night and day. Like they're they're playing with a bit of creativity and a bit of control and a bit of composure. So yeah, that that that's um Ulster are by no means guaranteed a result in that game. They need two things, and they have one of them, and that's Ravenhill, and the other one is Coney to be fit. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I tell you, it'll be interesting what the Ospreys are going to do next season. Like, I mean, once bigger goes, you're talking about Sam Davies having to come in, and that kid still has a lot to learn. He is the epitome of potential, isn't he? Absolutely. So after that, it's um, Benetton v Zebra. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't. I didn't get a chance to see this. Um, it was tricky to try and track down a bit of uh, match footage, but great result for Zebra. Definitely, this is their best season ever now, isn't it? Seven wins. Yeah, seven wins. And I mean, I think it was their best season with six. So brilliant to see that they're still raising standards. But um, 22-17 and coming back in the last, um, in the, over the course of the last half an hour from 17-16 down. So just kept chipping away at that lead, got the penalties. And uh, yeah, you know, it's it's great. I think they'll be happy with the result. And to be honest, it's a good result for, for Zebra. It's a good result for Italian rugby in, in some senses, you know. Though, which is then on top of that is a good result for the league. Yeah, absolutely. A bit of a shame, though. I mean, I know qualification for Europe is merit-based, but uh, this will be the first year that there's no Italian side at the top table. True, but like it might. I always think it might do them good having a run in a cup competition. They have a chance of winning in. You know, winning breeds winning, and getting to knockouts of the Challenge Cup might be what Benetton need. And then the last game of the weekend um, was very much a are we done yet? Nothing game. 24-19 to Edinburgh. And, you know, they they already had third place wrapped up coming into it, given the results earlier in the day. Um, Glasgow didn't particularly need anything. Like, if you're a Glasgow fan, looking over at results and performances in the last couple of weeks, you're not looking forward to the, the knockout stages of the Pro 14. No, I mean, they haven't looked decent in a couple of weeks. And... I don't know, if I'm the Scarlets or the, the Cheetahs, I'm not remotely concerned by this Glasgow team at this point in time. No, I think the only thing going for them is the fact that match will be in Scottsdale. Yeah. Um, although there was something there was something weird going on in the stands in Murrayfield. Um, I kept catching glimpses of uh, fans, which was weird. It is just too big for them. Yeah. So that's the roundup of the games for the weekend. We uh, now move on to our regular segment, uh, Top Performer and Clown of the Round. So Connacht probably going to be a good candidate for top performer, Park. Um, for me, um, I know we haven't really picked a man of the match, but Dela Hunt, for me, is the top performer across the games that I saw. Anyway, the offload for Nige try would have been worthy of it, but the fact he stripped the ball to start that all off as well is just incredible. He was he was immense, and for anybody to outshine John Muldoon on Muldoon Day. Uh, and take man of the match was a was a pretty magnificent performance. So uh, clowned around. Do you have any ideas? Um, a couple of monster players putting their hands up here. Um, I was having a look at JJ. I was having a look at Duncan. Um, couldn't really settle on one of them. Um, what do you reckon? You were watching this on the coverage. So anybody in particular worse than anyone else? The actual coverage itself. The, yeah, the TG Carrot Cole commentator was so biased towards Munster, I thought I'd been getting tips from BBC Northern Ireland. <laughs> okay, well, I'm happy to avoid it landing on a Munster player. That's okay with me. I was actually, I was directly in front of him in the terraces. 
like he is a monster man you know and that's fine I'm just like I can't be dealing with this he can't be that much of a monster man he wouldn't shut up during the kicks oh no but that's the, that's a TV thing they've got to talk through everything oh no uh, you, can, you can see the sky station from where I am and Alan Quinlan is silent <laughs> he knows better than that there was a couple of guys around the crowd abusing the TG4 guy in Irish to get him to shut up but that's Alan being your seat 45 minutes for kickoff Quinlan. Mm, he is a bit reverent in that way, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I, I still thought it was funny. It's nice, nice that we have bilingual hecklers now. <laughs> so there's still a lot of rugby to be played this season. It, it's kind of nice. I mean, this final series adds a bit to it rather than the, the league just ending. Uh, we've got Pro 14 quarterfinals, Pro 14 semifinals and finals. Uh, finals of the European competitions and then we're into the summer of rugby yeah like and we will be doing podcasts on all of that and recapping the pro 14 as a season as a whole because we only started a couple of weeks ago so like it'd be nice to look back on how the season went for everyone you know absolutely I think there could be some some fifth best fifth best conference 15s and uh, a few other bits for us to pass the time as we wait for uh, for the new season exactly so that's us for this week. We'll be back on Thursday, the 3rd of May, previewing the quarterfinals, Monster v Edinburgh and Scarlet's v Cheetahs. Reach out to us uh, reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Twitter where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. If you join the podcast, you know, like, subscribe, spread the word, comment, all those type of things. So until <laughs> So until then, goodbye and thanks very much for listening. Take care.